In your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. If you're noticing your rows might be a little more empty today than before, we added about 150 chairs by faith. And so we haven't had a church split that I'm aware of, but we've got a lot more chairs out. And I'm uh, believing that the Lord is going to fill these extra chairs. Amen? Amen. Last week, if you were here, I talked to you about the power of destructive words spoken over us and breaking the power of destructive words. And the emphasis was on the idea that if an unbeliever can reject the words of God, if they could reject the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and make those words of no effect to them, which means when, I, when they reject the gospel, the words of God do not, does not have entry into their life, does not change the way they think, feel, act, or live, then surely we have the power to reject the words of men spoken over us and live free from their false prophecy, their unkindness, their cruelty. And we talked about considering the source and considering the origin of the source and rejecting, aborting those words that have been entrenched in our our soul, our, our psyche, if you will, our mind, and then replacing them with the words of God. But we came to a point last week where something in my spirit just did one of those, like, mm, just a nudge. I said, we, we had people responded, and, and of course, the Word of God, you always look for a response. But as a pastor, I said, now it's time to bless our enemies, and who will be first? And there weren't three or four people that wanted to stand and pray blessing upon their enemies. And it's just something I noticed. I'm not getting on to you. It just, it's kind of like when you ask who loves the Lord and everybody says, yes. And who wants to speak good to those that despitefully use them and who wants to forgive them of their trespasses. And it's like you heard crickets. And so this morning I want to talk to you on the danger of being graceless. The danger of being graceless. Have you got your Bibles open to Matthew 18? Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but until 70 times seven. And for those of you that don't do math in your head, that's 490. Therefore, Jesus said, to explain this truth, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take an account of his servants. And when he begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had nowhere to pay or no way to pay him, the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had so payment could be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped the king saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And here's the strange thing. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. He loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant, mark that in your Bible, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. 
And this fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. The same servant would not. But he went and cast this man into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told the Lord, the king, all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called for him, said unto him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you desired me to. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you? And his Lord was very angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due. Now look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do to you if from your hearts you do not forgive every other person their trespasses. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus began what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he got to a place and said, forgive us of our trespasses as, as we forgive others of their trespasses against us. Matthew 6 says, for if you forgive men of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. There's only two times that I'm aware of expressed anger in the New Testament. One is when they made the house of God, the house of prayer, a den of thieves, which means they broke the pattern that God's house was supposed to be where people were increased, not decreased. They weren't to be merchandised. They were to be taught the ways of God. And Jesus wrapped a cord of leather around his hand and literally smote the backs of religious leaders and tax collectors and drove them out of the temple. And in this parable, it shows the anger of God. There is that element where he sees someone like you and I that will not give to others what he so freely gave us. And there's an anger that rises up in the king and he pronounces a verdict of, uh, or he identifies him. He said, you are wicked to the core. And he brought back up forgiven debts against him. This morning, I, I, I make no apology for it, but this is, this is going to be a strong word because you can't preach weekly, and by that I mean W-E-A-K, not W-E-E-K, weekly, something God is so crystal clear about. It's not a real word, but I looked up in the dictionary online, ungrace, and it says that it's not a real word, but it's a created word. It's a created word. I don't know how you cannot be a real word, but a created one that speaks to the absence of grace. And I pose a question to you this morning. If there is one person in your life that you will not give grace to. Then that makes you a person of ungrace. Because grace. Is either all encompassing. 
or it isn't. Either all my sins are forgiven or they aren't. And either all of theirs are forgiven or they aren't. I want to speak to you for just a few moments on the dangers of being graceless. And when the sun goes down tonight, may there be no room in your heart, not only for the destructive words that other people have spoken, but the destructive attitudes that you have justified in your own heart because every unforgiveness is justifiable in your own heart. It's going to be quiet in here today. I can tell. I can tell. That's all right. Let's pray together. Lord, I just start off and I ask you while I preach to search my heart, O Lord. See if there's any wicked way in me that would hold somebody else by the throat and demand that they make a restitution to me. I ask you, O Lord, to help, help show me any area where you could look at me and call me ungraceful or a person lacking grace. I want grace to be my anthem, my mantra my refuge, and my expression all the days of my life, O oh Lord. Forgive me for any attitude that is so brazen that it would take something freely from you and not give it to somebody else. Oh God, heal me of it, I pray today. And as I preach, O oh Lord, I ask you to preach to me, even to the things I might not know or have forgotten, and that we might be all together clean before you in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. The graceless Christian grossly underestimates God's expectation of mercy towards others. The graceless Christian grossly underestimates God's expectation of mercy towards others. Jesus came to him and said, how often shall I forgive? So you know Peter had somebody in mind. Think of the context. It's not, hypothetically speaking, Jesus, in case this were to happen. He goes, so Jesus, have you ever had a friend or a conversation like that just out of the blue? So Jesus, how often shall a brother <laughs> sin against me and I have to forgive him? Up to seven times? And like a thunderclap of unexpected revelation, he said, no. Seventy times seven. And then you've got the carnal Christian that says, well, I can't wait for him to do it 462 more times. So I've reached the limit and I don't have to forgive him. Jesus wasn't giving a number. He was giving uh, an exaggerated figure so much. He said, just all the time. There isn't a number. And this expectation, this parable shows us that God has an expectation that as often as they do it, grace flows to them. This passage implies that you will be sinned against. All types of unkindness, all types of cruelty, neglect, slander, abuse, theft, disdain, mockery, hate. And I want to be very careful, especially with the young ladies in our church and single moms. Giving someone grace does not mean that you keep yourself in harm's way. If they're chasing you around the house with a bat or a skillet, you ain't got to pray about it. Leave. Leave. Grace means not that I keep myself under this onslaught, but it means in the courtroom of my heart, because of what he's done for me, I let it go. 
There is none of that in my heart. There's, I don't want to be judge over you. I'm judging the situation and saying I'm not safe to be around you, but I'm not judging you. This, impl- this passage implies that you will be sinned against often. For Jesus to say 490 times, do you think he's given us a clue? This passage implies that you will be sinned against by the same person. So Jesus is saying that person that's done that, going up to 490. And some people are pushing the limits on this. That was a place you could laugh. It was like a joke. You know, they're, they're going hundreds up. I just don't want to laugh at the wrong time. That's a serious message. Someone told me that not too long ago. I said, I'm like, I'll tell these little jokes. They go, yeah, but one time I laughed at the wrong time and I felt like an idiot. <laughs> this passage implies that you may be sinned against by the same person in the same way. And this passage implies that over time, because of their actions, people can become indebted to you. The thing I want you to get, and I'm not repeating myself just to repeat myself. I want you to understand this. God has a 490% expectation of grace flowing out of you greater than you expect of yourself. Because we figure if I just forgive you, you didn't deserve that. And God's expectation is way over here. So if I don't know his expectation, I may think that I'm fine. We are to not only be warehouses of grace, but distributors of grace. Do you know how your life changed when you made yourself accessible and you received grace upon grace upon grace? How changed you were. The same amount of change happens when you distribute that grace. Every time you receive grace, you are changed. And every time you give grace, you are changed because it's, it's, it's like being transfigured. We are not reservoirs, but we house it. And what good is a grace that's so narrow that it helps one person? It's a selfish grace. It's an immature grace. It's a wasteful grace. Everything God has done for me, he wants me to use it to affect someone else. We believe that with blessings, he gives us blessings so that we might be a blessing to other people. He gives us resources that we might share our resources with other people. He gives us homes that we might be hospitable and share our home with other people. He gives us health that we might use our health to help those that might not be able to help himself. But when we get to grace, we think that, well, that grace is for me. God's expectation of grace in your life is 490 times stronger than many of us think it is. Number two, the graceless Christian... Lives in a false reality because of what he has forgotten. He has forgotten that there is a king that rules over him. He has forgotten that he is a servant. He has forgotten the incalculable debt that his life had accrued. When Jesus told this story, what he was doing was putting up a mirror so we could see ourselves more clearly. And two things will change your Christian life more than anything else. When you see God clearly and when you see yourself clearly. Those two things is foundational. They are critical to your spiritual health. Because if I see God clearly and I don't see me clearly, I'm in trouble. 
If I see myself clearly and I don't see God clearly, I'm in trouble. But if I see both, then I'm balanced. He has forgotten the incalculable debt that his life incurred. In this story, it says 10,000 talents. And I, I copied and pasted this because I didn't trust my memory. So I want to read this to you. 10,000 talents represented between 60 and 100 million denarii. Or between 30 and 100 million days wages of an average worker. So 30 to 100 million, let's split the difference. This guy's debt was 70 million days worth of work. Now I've known hustlers. And I've known hustlers, but he had pilfered from the king. 70 million days worth of wages. Give give you this fact. I'm getting somewhere. Hang on. The combined tribute of Galilee and Perea after the death of King Herod came to only 200 talents. The tribute of Judah, Samaria, and Adume came to 600 talents. So what this passage is implying when he's talking about this wicked man who has forgiven much, teaching you a lesson about you, listen. This poor man in this story owed the king more money than was in the circulation of all the nations anyway. There wasn't even that much money. And when I see my sin against God, when I see the Christ crucified, when I see him beaten and bloodied and naked and marred and the crown of thorns pushed into his head, that was my sin. He became sin for me. When I'm aware of the great debt, and that is our problem, not yours, not mine, our problem. We see our debt to God smallly and see their sins against us more greatly. And there are some gross sins done to us as children. Gross, horrible, heinous crimes to us when we were innocent, when we were married. I understand that. But compared to our sins against God, that perspective is what leads you into a grace-filled life. My debt, let's not talk about them for just a moment, incalculable. How many times have you lied and, and we've stolen and broke our promises? Our life is an evidence of self-centeredness and selfishness. And it's a, it's an, a, a novel written against our own crimes. The problem with this man in this story, and Jesus gave the story to talk to Simon about how many times he should forgive someone. It says, you don't even know what you owed. Seeing yourself clearly makes it so much easier to give grace to that person that you used to see more clearly than you see yourself. He had forgotten the judgment that had been decreed concerning him. His Lord commanded that he, his wife, and children were to be sold, and all that he had was to be sold so that payment could be made. This man in the story forgot the judgment that his king just let pass. You and I, excuse me, were dead in trespasses and sin. And the wrath of God was slated for us. He'd already sentenced us. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Eternal separation from God. It is impossible 
to withhold grace from someone when you remember the eternal sentence that was passed upon your life of sin. This man had forgotten that the king had once declared, sell him, sell his wife, sell his children, and sell his possessions. When I prepare to preach to you, I try to put myself in the stories as an individual, then as a father and as a husband. If you were to pronounce an earthly sentence upon me and say, sell Kelly to the highest bidder, take his little girls and give them to the highest bidder. I don't know who that man would be. I don't know what his intentions would be. And John is going to go to prison and think about the wife and children's demise and then take every possession so that his wife and children have nothing break up his family and I could picture myself screaming oh lord have mercy on me don't don't do this to my wife and babies whatever it takes whatever it takes and him just be moved and say reverse that decision how do you forget that because we're carnal And because the entrance of God's word is not gotten deep into our soul and it's not the foundational standard. That's why I invite you a lot on Sundays to remember back. You hear me say, do you remember how he forgave you and gave you a new start? Because we can't forget these things. We were judged, damned, doomed without hope. And he just decided before the earth was created to provide a way for people like you and I to go free. He had forgotten how desperate he once was before the king. It said he fell down and worshiped the king, screaming, have patience on me and I will pay you all. I will pay you all. And he forgot how the king had dealt with him. The king was moved with compassion. Look how tender he was with him. The king loosed him. That's mercy. The king forgave him. That's grace. And he erased the debt. More money than circulated in the entire region. He erased the whole debt and gave him a new start. Number three, the graceless king is, or the graceless Christian, I'm sorry, is easily recognized by his behavior. The graceless Christian is easily recognized by his behavior. But this same servant that was forgiven so much went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which is $16, by the way. So God views your debt as incalculable calculable, and this other person in comparison. So John, you're saying the crimes against me as a little child were nothing? No, that's not what I'm saying. But compared to our sinfulness, God wants us to see our sinfulness so much greater than we do the other person's sinfulness. It's not apples and apples. It's seeing my own. He went out and found this guy, laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. And he went out and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Notice how determined this graceless person was. He went out and found one, which means he was looking for him. Notice how petty he was. Sixteen dollars. Notice how forceful he was. He put his hands upon him. Notice how angry he was. He took him by the throat. 
Notice how numb he was. And this is the one I want to bring special attention to this morning. This man said, he fell down at his feet. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Why, how could he not recognize the same phrase he used coming from another person? Because self-righteousness is death. We don't see our sins in other people. We see ourselves better than. If there was any part of him that was alive, he would have said, that phrase is familiar. Have mercy with me. Have patience with me till I pay you all. Notice how callous he is. He would not. Notice how severe he is. Cast him into prison. And notice how unbending he is till he should pay the debt. How do you pay off your debt in prison? It means you can't get out. When we are graceless. When we are graceless. We're usually the last person to know. What judgment have you justified in your heart towards someone else? Remember. The issue is not are they guilty. The issue is, have you been forgiven? Say it again. The issue is not, are they guilty? The issue is, have you been forgiven? Because if you have been a recipient of the king's grace, it is to change the way you treat everyone. And it's against the backdrop of the worst crimes that the greatest grace is given. It's easily recognized by everyone else except the graceless Christian. They're recognized by their behavior. And this behavior is recognized by other people. Look in verse 31 in your Bible. Keep your Bibles open. And when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. And they came and told their Lord all that this man had done. Their behavior is easily observed. The graceless Christian. You can see this ungrace by how they think, by how how they act. The effect it has on the one who is being judged. You can see the effects of this ungrace on those who observe it. And it says the people that observed this man holding this other man by the throat, demanding that he be put in prison, were very sorry. They felt very sorry. And that Greek word means heavy, burdened, grieved, and distressed. And so they went and told the king. So can you imagine in however this story took place, there was a request made to see the king and they waited. They were so grieved with what they saw, they waited. And time came to come before the king and the king would allow his scepter and they would come forth. And they said, "Uh, what, what business do you have before the king today? And very long story short, they said, you know, the man... That had stole, word got out of all that he stole from me. Yes. He just threw a man in prison over $16. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. And I want you to open your soul up very wide to this statement. Word always gets back to the king. Word always gets back to the king. Now, our king is not waiting on the information to get there. He's all-knowing. But as it happens, he hears it. You know John Wood? 
Yeah, I know him. He ran up an incalculable debt. He hates someone today. And he won't forgive them. What? And it, it, it causes a shift in the thought process of the king, the demeanor of the king, the words of the king, and the actions of the king. Word always gets back to the king. What has God been hearing about you? And finally, well, no, and finally, number five. The graceless Christian is always called to give an account for their ungrace. Ben, if you would come on up for me. The graceless Christian is always called into an account for their ungrace. It's only a matter of time before the reckoning. Look in your Bible, verse 32. His Lord called for him. And God will set up a moment, a scheduled event, for you to answer for ungrace. It was not to man he would answer, but to the king, the supreme authority. His guilt was pronounced publicly. The king said, you wicked servant. Now listen carefully to this. That word wicked, that Greek word means you're hurtful. You're evil. Worthless. Bad. Corrupt. Diseased. And morally guilty on every front. And he was asked the question that separates the guilty from the innocent. Verse 33, the king said, Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant even as I had pity on you? Stay with me, watch. No answer. Do you even have to think about it? Why the hesitation? Why would you think so? Well, you don't know what they did to me. And you don't know how many times they did it to me. And you don't know how little remorse they've shown, if any. And then I can hear you because I've thought this. But in this story, they repented. And the people that did this has never repented to me. Their words are not the producer of the distribution of grace. You have grace flowing out of you from the beginning. And the only thing their repentance does, it makes it available to them. You're healed not when they receive it, but when it flows out of you. And if they never tap on that grace, you are innocent before God if it flows from you. If it flows from you. He said, shouldn't you have had pity on your fellow servant? No answer. No answer. Do you see? And I pray I say this clearly enough. I believe that this question was the open window because the king wanted to give grace again. Shouldn't you have had pity? If he'd have said, yes, I should have. What's wrong with me? Oh, king, please forgive me. Give me an opportunity. I'll go and pay off this man's all his debts. I'll make it right. And the king gave him an opportunity. And that wicked man fell silent. Shouldn't you have had pity? And that's when the judgment fell. And so very humbly and very meekly, I offer you that same window this morning. Shouldn't you have pity on this other person as the king has had pity on you? And if there's a yes in your soul, you can avoid what happens in the next verses. 
says the king was enraged against him and pronounced a repetitive judgment that was impossible to escape from. It says, deliver that man to the tormentors, the torturer, until he pay all. So he brought his debts back up. He commanded that this man be taken to an inner dungeon and be tortured. And I know this ain't popular teaching. It's right there in your Bible. And so shall my heavenly father do to you. He releases demonic forces to torture you, to vex you, to harm your family, your children, your wife, your spouse, your mental health, your physical health. Torture means torture till you pay the debt. Well, I can't pay my debt. So it never stops. These words ring in my heart this morning. So shall my father do to you. 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 If you do not from your heart forgive everyone their trespasses. Now before I give invitation this morning, listen to me. God did not command us to heal relationships because there are some people, the Bible tells us, as much as is possible with you, you you can't. Make it right. But you can make what flows out of your heart and your mouth right. And I wonder if there's anyone here, every eye open, in awareness of your debt, you want to respond to the question, shouldn't you have pity on that other person? And if your answer is yes, there's a window of grace for you this morning. And we're going to pray for them. We're going to bless those that curse us. We're going to do good to those that despitefully use us. We don't have to bring ourselves into harm's way to forgive and let grace flow. How much grace do you want to give to that person today? No one will be praying for you today. This is you and the Lord. And we got time. I want you to come find a place at this front and let it go. Shouldn't you have mercy on them? What's your answer? Shouldn't you have mercy on them? What's your answer? Shouldn't you have mercy on them? How you answer that question is the profit of your tomorrow. Just let it go. Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. If they deserve this grace, it wouldn't be grace. You're giving this today not on who they are, but based on who you are. I just hear it in my spirit. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Is there anyone else in the sanctuary? You said, I should have come down. Maybe you said this phrase. I can't. I've tried before. I can't. I'm asking you again. Should you not have pity on the one? 
Shouldn't you have pity on the one? Yes, I should. Then give it. If it's feeble, give it. If it's fickle, give it. Give what you have. I give you grace today. I give you grace today. Out of all that God's given me, I give you grace today. Those in the sanctuary, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. When's the last time you prayed for God's best for them? Prayed for God blessed this morning before I could preach to you. I named them by name and asked the Lord to bless them first. I invite you now. I offered last week. If you would like to pray for your enemies, those that hate you and despise you and have used you and harmed you, and pray God's blessing over them, who will be first to come and stand and say, I, in the name of Jesus, I pray for you and I bless you and I speak good over you. I want you to come and pray for them. Who would like to pray for their enemies this morning? I pray God's blessing over your life. Lord, if there are any blessings in my life reserved for me, give it to them. I prefer them. Healing will flow to your heart as you pray for your enemies. Glory. I sense God's glory. Glory to the Lord. I pray God's best over you. I hold no account against you. I let it go. Me and you are even. You don't owe me nothing. You don't know me nothing. I'm a person of grace. I declare it today. I decree it today. I decree it. Grace only in my life. Grace only. Glory to the Lord. I give grace to you. I give grace to you. Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. them first Lord bless them first if they're blessing scheduled for me bless them first oh Lord you've been so good to me oh God bless them first them first Lord glory to the Lord glory to the Lord Jesus Church family, would you stand with me? And just as we have music playing silently, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? Can you rehearse your debt that's been forgiven and thank Him? Can you just rehearse your debt? 
Just lift your hands to him and rehearse it. God, I remember, I have not forgot how great my sins were against you and you were so rich in mercy to me. So rich in mercy to me. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for not judging me in your wrath, oh Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Where would I be, oh Lord, if not for your grace? Thank you, Lord. Let it flow freely, Lord. Let it flow freely, Lord. Glory to your name, God. Glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name, Lord. Church family, would you look this way? Years ago, I I probably have shared this with you. Things like this aren't usually in my notes. But those of you that are older like me, do you remember Miss Corey Tinboom? Do you remember her, The Hiding Place? She told a story once that she was, of course, her book about the horrors of Germany and the concentration camp, you know, years ago swept through the world and she preached all over the world and she would tell the story about the hiding place and how they rescued the Jews from Nazi Germany terrorism. And she recounts the story she was preaching one day on forgiveness. And she looked out in the congregation and there was one of the guards that would make her and her sister strip naked. And they would mock her emaciated breast because she was starving to death. One of the guards would urinate on her sister. And she said it was like time froze. And the Lord spoke to her, are you grace or law? She said, I felt like my, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing as I remember the story. My soul was being ripped in half. And he said, don't preach another word till you tell me you can forgive. Him. She walked down from the platform, walked up to the guard and said, because of what Jesus Christ forgave me of, I forgive you and hugged him. And we say that, oh, that's unbelievable. That's where we live. Because an ungrace can be towards gross cruelty or just neglect. It can be anything. The issue is not the size of their crime. The issue is, are we graceless or gracious? Here's the thing I want to close with. When you go into the doctor, they take your vital signs. Vital signs tell you everything. And if they want to go deep, they go into your history. But vital signs, when they come in, here's your, vital, here's your two primary vital signs. Are there any unforgiven sins in your life between you and God? And you say, no, the blood of his son has cleansed me from all sin. Is there any unforgiven sins of others against you in your heart? And you say, no, then you're good. You ain't perfect, but you're good because you're in grace. And grace is the answer to everything. Great grace Great grace is on you. Great grace is on you. For my weaknesses, there's grace. For my failures, there's grace. And my father forgives me according to how I forgive others. So no matter how many times I stumble, he looks to see, did you forgive? Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The final thing. I know I've given you several final things, but I stopped early. I preached not too long, so I can tell you this. 
Years ago, and I'm not a man prone to visions or dreams, but I had a, a, a vision, a day vision. And I went into the heaven, and not that it's there, but the Lord wanted to show me a tr- truth. There was like a bank in heaven. So here you got these big angels in the bank. And you know how they used to have the bars at the window? Like Andy Griffith kind of bars at the bank teller's window. I don't know why it was like this. So I walked up and the angel was standing there. And huge pers- person glowing light. And the wings would come out and go back in. He goes, hi, John. Can I help you? And I said, yes, I'm here to make a deposit. And he said, what are you depositing? And I said, mercy. And the angel leaned into me and goes, oh, that pays the highest yield of anything you can do here. And it was over. Little did I know what was ahead of me in the days to come. And the Lord said, with all your depositing in the courts of heaven, your praise, your worship, make sure you deposit mercy for other people. And when it comes time and they have to withdraw on it, oh, I've been expecting you because of what Jesus did for me. Forgive it, forgive it, forgive it. It pays the highest yield of anything you can do. Terry, would you come this morning and pray over us as we leave? You turn this one on for me. Well, Ben, is your mic on? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for a great message. Go ahead, bow your heads, please. Turn this mic on. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you, God, for this grace that's been given to us, Lord. I know, God, now that we've come into your house and we left all this at the altar and we've come and recognized, God, that, that we've received grace that we haven't given, that we're going to be challenged on this, God. And I pray, God, that your word would come back to us, Lord, and it would bring into remembrance, God, the price that was paid that we might live in peace with you and that we might distribute that to others. Father, I just thank you, God, for this message. I thank you for those that lives have been transformed today by your word, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that the enemy would not come in and steal what you've done here today, God. Thank you so much, God, for your grace in my life. I pray for forgiveness, God, for where I've not shown that to other people. Help me, Father, to be a light to this world, Lord. Thank you again. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.